podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In March of 1996, when he was about nine, Archie went back to Afghanistan for the first time. His father and grandfather wanted to move home. So they went back to the Kuna province, where Archie's family was originally from, to see if it was now safe. Archie was happy to go back, but he took a piece of Pakistan with him a small radio on which he would listen to commentary of Pakistan's important World Cup games. Of course, the most important was the World Cup semi-final against India. Amir Sohail and Saeed Anwar had taken flight at the top of Pakistan's chase, and Archie listened excitedly with his radio to his ear. A local patrolman saw him, walked over, and as he got closer, he heard the cricket commentary and he slapped Archie in the face. Why are you listening to this game? It is not for Muslims. Archie didn't respond, because he knew you didn't talk back to the Taliban. The radio was broken, and he never heard Pakistan lose that game. This is a new season of Double Century on a cricketer who never became a professional. Mohibullah Achiwal is his name, but he prefers to be called Archie. We don't know how talented he was, but there are stories that he certainly could play cricket. But instead of representing Afghanistan, he fought for his life, his country, and his freedom. This is the story of the Shahid Afridi of Kansas. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. After that incident with the Taliban patrolman and many other like that, Archie pleaded with his father to take him back to Pakistan. But his father was always quite firm. This is our country. But Archie didn't care. He didn't want to be in Afghanistan if the Taliban was there. Eventually, though, Archie's father and grandfather felt the same. The family remained in Pakistan. Archie's father bought daily items in bulk and sold them to a village and refugee shops. They weren't rich, but he was a regular provider. To Archie's father, his family was very important. Not just his wife and kids, but his mother, his father, and his uncles. Archie's mother was a kind and warm woman. She had two other sons and four daughters. Archie's mother gave him a special position within the family as the oldest son. At school, Archie did very well. He studied English using books given by UNICEF and was the top of the class early on. His father would offer prizes for when he remained head of the class. But the more pressure he felt, the worse his grades got. And he would often stay up all night studying for a test, only for the answers to disappear when he needed them. On those days, Archie would be beaten. In fact, a lot of things would result in beatings. Bad grades, comments perceived as disrespectful, fighting with other kids, other kids saying he beat them. Once a fortnight, there would be a reason for him to be beaten by his father. And the truth is that Archie never understood the man. He didn't know why he was being beaten. He didn't feel like he talked back. He wasn't someone who caused a lot of trouble. And he felt like he gave his father a lot of respect. Archie's father did not go to school beyond 13. The father just had no way to better his life. He had sacrificed his future for that of his sons. He lived through a war, found work in a new land, and when Archie slipped, even a little bit, it's possible that he just saw that as a slight on all of his hard work. And for what he saw as a slap to his face, he used as a fist to Archie's. There was one particular day when it got very bad. Archie was playing cricket with the son of his father's best friend. 
Archie knew that he had to respect this boy. He had already learned to always be alert in case there was a reason for him to be beaten. Still, as often happens, there was a cricket squabble, one of the probably million in the world that day. And after he refused to go out and field, the boy ran home to tell his father what had happened, and his father told Archie's dad. As Archie walked home, his father met him on the street. He said, You have disgraced my friend by disrespecting his son. Archie tried to explain that it was nothing, that it was just a small thing, but his father wasn't listening, and right there in the middle of the street, Archie was beaten. He woke up the next day, stumbled towards the mirror, and he saw himself covered in blood. His grandmother told him that he had been unconscious since the beating. But Archie smiled, because when he looked back in the mirror, he thought he looked like Shan Shahid, his favourite Lollywood star, after a fight with the villain. The truth is, though, that the bloody boy who looked back at Archie was different than the boy that was there beforehand. His love for his father, some of his self-worth, and his hope for a better life had been beaten out of him. Late in 1996, a 16-year-old, not that much older than Archie at the time, batted for Pakistan for the first time ever. Less than an hour later, he had broken a record for the quickest hundred in cricket. Shahid Afridi was, is, I suppose, something special. There is a natural conservatism bred into cricket batters. From a young age, you know that one bad decision can end your day. You protect your stumps, keep the ball on the ground, grab caution from the wind. Freedy didn't do any of that, did he? His way of batting was to throw everything he had at the ball like a religious zealot, believing that something, someone would save him, that destiny was always on his side. It made him an inconsistent cricketer, but it also made him an absolute idol. He had the spirit, energy, and predatory nature of a Pakistani fast bowler. But he also had this massive club that he swings around recklessly. His batting isn't violent. It's fun and cheeky. He's a drunken samurai, the greatest flawed action movie star ever. Once you're hooked on a freebie, there is no going back. To Archie and all the other young Afghan boys in Pakistan who love cricket, a freebie was something more. He was Pashtun. When he spoke Pashtu in a beautiful sing-song dialect different from their own, they loved him even more. Young Afghan cricket fans didn't just relate to Shahid Afridi, they wanted to be him. After that hundred, every time Archie picked up the bat, in his mind, he was Afridi. The problem was, of course, that Archie couldn't go back to his country. And even if he did, Afghanistan did not even have a cricket team. He couldn't make any plans, he was just dreaming. He wanted people to know who he was, to make a mark in the world, to play cricket. He wanted to be Shahid Afridi. But he was still just a Majar, a refugee from Afghanistan that got no respect. The Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, as the Taliban called their dominion there, was ousted from Kabul late in 2001. Archie's family made their way back home less than three months later. Their trip should have been short but the roads were not good enough for them to truck all their belongings, so they went the long way around. Nothing was ever easy for them. Marawara was surrounded by farmland, where wheat and poppy were grown. The locals made money by cutting trees in the mountains, soldiering or working for the government. But for Archie, this was home. He felt like everything was perfect. The security was perfect, the village was perfect, the new roads were perfect. There were soldiers in different uniforms, but no one was getting hurt and everyone was getting respect. He felt like everyone was happy and everyone was excited for the first time. It was the Afghanistan that his family had fought for. But there were other issues. For instance, when Archie was a small boy in the refugee camp, if he got bored, he would visit the local blacksmith. 
who would sing him silly songs and make funny faces to entertain him. The blacksmith had a son who was Archie's Quran teacher, Kwari Zia Rahman. As a young man, Rahman memorized the Quran, becoming what is called a Hafiz i Quran. He was very well respected by Archie's family. Unlike the majority of the Afghan refugees, Rahman did not come back with the fall of the Taliban. He would eventually come back to Afghanistan. And when he did, he took a special dislike to what was going on in Marawara, to its government employees and pro-American ideals. On his radio show, or just by word of mouth, he let the village know that it was now a target for him. And this was a bad thing, because Rahman was more than just a Quran teacher. His past is actually quite murky. The more people I asked about him, the more different places he may have worked for. Maybe he worked for the Afghanistani government. Maybe he worked for Pakistan's ISI, the Interstate Intelligence. Other people said he worked for Al-Qaeda. He clearly had a relationship with the Taliban. Some even suggested that at times he worked for the CIA. By all accounts, he was just a violent militant with shifting alliances. But they also said that Rahman was in charge of a brigade in Al-Qaeda's Lashkar al-Zil. It was known as the Shadow Army. It's also worth just talking about the Taliban here for a moment, because there were times when the Taliban had a very pro-relationship with cricket. There were elements that even saw it as a pious game and promoted it while virtually banning all other sport. But you'll be surprised to know that the Taliban was not always of one mind. And for someone like Rahman, he might have been involved with the Taliban, but it was just more of a means to an end. So he sent a letter to the mosque in Marawara saying that the cricket should cease because it stopped people from praying. He asked that Archie and some other people he named directly in the letter come in for a meeting with him. No one was going to attend a meeting with Rahman by this point and his shadow army. After you saw them, you weren't seen again quite often. So the cricket continued, but with a checkpoint for security. The cricket ground in Marawara was one in name only. The locals had rented the field from a wheat farmer. Fielding a cricket ball was hard enough, but the dirt surface also had irrigation troughs running through it, meaning that on the rare occasions that Archie and his friends hit the ball on the ground, it would fly up randomly and hurt people. But that wasn't the biggest danger out on the cricket field, because Rahman followed through with his threats in his letter. One day on the field, a player tripped over something, and it was an IED. A bomb. Luckily, it didn't work. But the device had been purposely placed in a part of the field, Cow Corner, where young Afghan players imitating Afridi loved to hit the ball. After that, Archie and some of the others would have to check the field before each game. So at that point, the Shadow Army and the Taliban changed tack. They started firing rockets at the grounds. They didn't have rocket launchers, so Rahman's men rested the rockets on rocks or logs, pointing them in the general vicinity, and then they would attach batteries by cable to the underside of the rockets to launch them. The rockets never actually hit anyone playing cricket. But they didn't have to, because the idea was not to hurt them, it was to stop them. And with that much fear, it is hard to enjoy your cricket. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports Social Podcast Network.